With all of the hype surrounding ChatGPT and other AI tools, it was only a matter of time before legal challenges arose. Questions around copyright, liability, and who is responsible for content generated by a machine are popping up in the news, creating more work for lawyers, of course, and potentially having an impact on the technology's development. We'll dig into some of these challenges and see where this will all lead up next on Today in Tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on today's show is Lisa Palmer. She's a former technology executive and AI doctoral candidate, actually current AI doctoral candidate, not former. Uh, and she's also a chief AI strategist for the website AI Leaders, and she's based in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Welcome to the show, Lisa. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I've noticed that you've been talking a lot on, on some other uh, some other shows about this, and you're you're you know you've you've written a lot about ChatGPT and, and a lot of the AI legal issues. Just to start off, though, you are not a lawyer, correct? That is correct. Okay. I'm definitely not a lawyer. Uh, my focus is from the tech side of the conversation, the AI side. Okay, so I'm not a lawyer either, and I don't. Even, I haven't even played one on TV. That's usually the joke how it goes afterwards. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, be, I do know that you do have a lot of expertise around a lot of these issues. So I wanted to bring up a couple of uh, recent news items uh, that that sort of piqued my interest. We've been talking a lot on the show about uh, ChatGPT and some of the artwork, uh, Stable Diffusion, and some of these other companies. Companies that are doing artwork based on generative AI. Uh, the first one that, that came up was uh, the Copyright Office in the U.S. declined to give a copyright to an AI-generated uh, artwork that's in a book, but they did allow it for um, no, that, not this one, Chris. The other one, the uh, the first one, the Reuters story. Um, but they did allow it for a graph, uh, the the book uh, that was created. It was a um, uh, book called Z Zarya of the Dawn. Uh, because it was, it, it did have images, but the whole book they're allowing the copyright. Um, at, at first, when the news came out, I mean, obviously the de the declining of a copyright for an AI image is that the sort of the the end point now, and and it, it'll never be addressed, or was it just sort of a one a one time off situation here? I think it may be the first shot across the bow, but it's certainly not going to be the end conclusion, in my opinion. This is just, we're just at the really at the beginning of how much angst there's going to be from a legal perspective with regard to generative AI. There's so much uh, to be dug into here. Who is, you know, who actually is the owner of something that's basically created by a prompt engineer? Right. And that, that question is wildly outstanding at this point. Yeah, I think one of the, the confusing issues that comes up is that uh, the generative AI tools that get used in a lot of these cases, let's, let's, let's focus on just kind of the artwork thing. When I type in a prompt that says, uh, for example, draw a panda bear on a cell phone uh, at the White House that gets generated and I get four or five different images. Now, does that mean that because I came up with that really random scenario, does that mean I own the copyright or does the, the generative, you know, the, the tool, the engine that's using it technically own the copyright? And if it grabs data from someone who has, you know, drawn that kind of image before and that's in the data set, do they have the right to a copyright? I think it's going to be this legal issue that might be going on for, for, for months and years, what you know? What do you think about that? I agree. I think yeah. it's going to take a long time to play out from a legality perspective. I make the argument that we need to give 
We need to give ownership to the creator. Let's equate creation with ownership. So who is the creator? In my opinion, in this case, using generative AI, the individual who is the prompt engineer is the creator. Um, So if we would stick to that type of a framework, the creator of the technology would be responsible and accountable for the creation and the payment uh, where appropriate of uh, for those individuals that help to train the the tools that they created. So that backtracks to the original artists uh, whose data they scraped from the internet to to train these data sets. And then there's another creation element there. So in my mind, we've got the creators that made the original art that trained the data sets. They need to be a com. They need to be compensated. Then we have the creators of the technology itself, like yep. you know, Dolly or um, Midjourney. So, and they need to be compensated. And then finally, the creators using the tool, they need to be compensated. So, to me, if we if we track the creation process, we have a really good framework for dealing with the legalities. Yeah. Can you split up a copyright between sort of those three groups? Or I've never heard of anything where where, where a copyright has been given to multiple groups, or maybe there has. I'm, um, I'm not an expert in copyright law other than I know that like this show technically is copyrighted by the company that, that employs me. I don't actually own it. I'm just a, a member of the crew or so to speak. So, um, but I, you know, but it, but it was a lot simpler <laughs> in the early days in terms of who holds a copyright, an author holds a copyright, a company, a publisher owns the copyright, that type of thing. Um, but this now it's like there, you've got multiple kind of claims on a, on a potential copyright, correct? To your first question, yeah. I mean, it's a way to think of it, whether or not we could split a copyright, I doubt that that's the solution, but I'm I'm neither a lawyer (laughs) (laughs) either. So uh, what I would anticipate is that we're going to see the copyrights become really in question along all three of those separate pieces so that can there be a copyright for the original author, uh, the original creator, I mean, we're definitely, you know, we've definitely seen precedent for that. Do we see copyright precedent in the in the software space? Absolutely. And have we seen precedent set for creators, not in a generative AI sense, but there are certainly uh, precedents for that, for copyright, uh, for creators in other realms. So to me, we have to address it separately and then overall in totality. So the very interesting thing about this most recent one is that they granted some amount of copyright to the end creator and then um, and then they withheld others. So I think that that's probably a good indicator that there isn't gonna be a really clean answer to this from a copyright perspective, at least in the short term. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in, in a way they sort of granted they sort of split a copyright, like they gave one copyright for the book to the author of the book, but then the images within that, they they denied a copyright to the author, but then did they give it to the original artist? Or I, I, I don't know, I didn't follow it that much, but I, I know that they at least declined a, a copyright for that image. 
Um, but the, but I want to ask you the next question is around the data sets because uh, there is another story where Getty Images. If you want to bring this one up, Chris, the the Verge story, uh, the Getty Images uh, definitely is they're suing Stable Diffusion for copyright infringement based on images that were in their library that were copyrighted, and they're claiming that Stable Diffusion used some of these images within the data set. And there's an example that on their their story about uh, two soccer players, or there's an image of a soccer soccer player and then what was generated by the AI tool was a similar looking soccer player it was not in the same position it was not like they were copying it exactly but obviously you can see the the little watermark in the AI generated image and I think that was probably the trigger that was like oh they're using this data without licensing it correctly because when you license it correctly that that uh, watermark goes away uh, and the example that could be brought up by the stable diffusion people could be, well, this is just fair use or, you know, because the fair use law or loophole that, that a lot of people use, um, it allows us to sort of like in a video show, it allows me to use clips of a, of a copyrighted video if we're making commentary or analysis and things like that. Um, could fair use be used here? Or, or, and again, I know you're not a legal expert, but um, that could be the fight that, that, that sets up whether or not they can use images without having to pay for them, I guess. Because then the other answer is just licensing the images, correct? So, you know, in my mind, this, this has repercussions that coincide with the decision around Section 230 as well. So when we try to conflate what's happening with protection of the innovation capabilities on the Internet, when we try to conflate that with what happens with machine learning, I think that's where we that's where we introduce the problem. So meaning we do want to make sure that we protect the internet, the ind the individual organizations that make platforms available so that the internet can flourish. I, I firmly believe we want to protect that. But I do also see that we're going to have to have separate legislation and or regulations that allow us to specifically deal with situations around machine learning because of things like copyright law. these The way that machine learning comes to life is through training it on data. Obviously, data the internet is a data-rich source. So is fair use going to apply across all of machine learning? I think that's a really great question. Yeah. Uh, pers personally, I think it's a stretch. <laughs> okay. Uh, can you explain what Section 230 is? I, I can't, I, I don't recall exactly. I know it's important, but... <laughs> what is Section 230? Right. So Section 230, uh, in you know, just very simple terms, protects anybody that provides a platform. So a social media platform, for example, it protects them from liability from content that is posted by people on their platform. So basically says that someone like Facebook can't be held financially accountable for the content that anybody posts on their uh, on their social media site. So the intent of that, of course, is to allow the internet to flourish by these organizations creating platforms for people to interact on. So it, it has been in the news because it has been the focus of a Supreme Court case where they've been uh, where they've been looking at whether or not YouTube, for example, could be held accountable 
for serving up using machine learning for serving up uh, additional videos that were, uh, you know, inappropriate content. So once the machine learning takes over and it begins to decide what you will see next in your feed, that's where the question pops in with what's been going on in the uh, in the Supreme Court. So in in my mind, they're two separate issues, but they're being conflated. Okay. And and this is something that would, would be more relevant to sort of the text generators such as ChatGPT because of the content that they're creating and whether it gets posted on, well, no, no, not even if it gets posted on social media, but, you know, it comes out with a, with a, a, a text of a paragraph of text that could become slanderous or libelous. And then who do you hold responsible Again, it comes back to that ownership issue. Is it owner? Is it the person that wrote the prompt? Even though I didn't necessarily mean to slander someone in my original prompt, but then somehow the information was that came out was potentially slanderous or libelous. And then again, that's a that's probably slander and libel is even a different issue here. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where that section two thirty thing might apply or not. Um, I think what it gets to is that legislation will need to be written at some point. Um, and, and, you know, when we were talking before, you know, before we went on air, we were talking about uh, stuff in Europe going on. Can you explain sort of what's what's happening over there? It feels like they're at maybe ahead of the U.S. when it comes to these these laws or regulations. So something that fundamentally happened when Europe led with GDPR and putting in all of the structure around how data, how personal data would be managed is they became the de facto standard because we don't have that type of law in the United States. And anytime you have a multinational company, they have had to learn to adhere to GDPR. So we've, we have these, you know, quote, standards that have been created in the U.S., but it's really an offshoot of people adhering to what Europe put in place with GDPR. Well, what we're seeing happen with regard to artificial intelligence is following a very similar path. So they have actually five pieces of legislation that are pending this spring to go into effect, uh, where all indicators are some form of these are all going to be put into um, it are all going to be enacted in Europe. And one of them is the AI Act. And mm-hmm. it is focused on a risk-based structure. So it says, basically, if your, if your application of artificial intelligence is low risk, then there will be very limited regulations or limited structure around that. Whereas if it's something that's very high risk, so take facial recognition, for example, then that is something that is going to be highly regulated and controlled. So what I anticipate to happen is this or some version of this will be enacted in Europe and it will become the de facto standard again, because we are certainly 
lagging them with regard to setting federal standards for these types of things. Yeah. Is that the problem that sort of the U.S. has is because we haven't been able to determine yet whether this is something that the, the federal government can sort of regulate or through Congress, or is it left up to the individual states? I think in GDPR's case, there is California data privacy. So I know California has sort of some rules, and I'm not sure about the other states, but is it, a, is it an issue between the feds and the states and who has sort of the rights to do this? So what we see right now is a patchwork of laws across the United States So and regulations. We, you know, California, Washington, other states have enacted some form of a data law mm-hmm. uh, with an intent to be similar to GDPR. None of them are the same, by the way. So each state has similar tenants, but none of them are the same. And there are many that are that have pending legislation about data at the state level for this year's legal sessions. We also have, in addition to the states, we also have regulatory agencies. Of course, the FTC has become active around artificial intelligence, even as uh, recently as last week, putting out an edict warning companies that they, it, if they are claiming that they are AI companies, they better actually be using artificial intelligence in their products and services. So, um, and then of course we've got a myriad of different things from a federal, uh, from a federal lens that are at least being considered. Uh, we don't see any of those you know, close to fruition. So right now, if you're a company inside of the United States and you're trying to leverage artificial intelligence in your products or services, or you're a company that wants to buy that capability and use it inside of your organization, it's a pretty high risk proposition because we don't really know what the legal and regulatory environment is going to look like. Right, right. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that, that they're never going to sort of get to that level and we'll just be we'll just kind of adopt or at least the companies that are involved in that will just adopt the European standards if they can if they if they're able to get something out too, right? I, I expect that to yeah. happen. Yes, I think that we're going to see uh, we're going to see many of the American companies who operate multinationally adopt adopt those standards. So what I think that we can expect in the United States is a focus around this risk-based structure that Europe is per, is pursuing. Okay, is is it too late to sort of to sort of enact legislation? I think of that that old sort of the old metaphor cliche about well the barn doors already open, all of the animals are out. It's too late to sort of shut the door on that, or and not necessarily shut the door, but at least start legislating it. Um, or is it a case where, when the internet, it just took off, and 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 then eventually we did get legislation uh, around some internet technology sort of rules and regs? Is it too late with AI, or is it is there still enough time to sort of set a framework and set some rules and set some boundaries? I think that we need to set those boundaries for both data and artificial intelligence, particularly machine learning, because it is something that is so heavily using publicly available data for training purposes. And we're seeing things like, you know, copyright infringement, et cetera, come into play there. So I don't think it's too late. I do think we are slow to join the party, but I do see that this will ultimately be worked out 
for example, those disparate data laws at the state level are going to really limit the ability for companies to innovate if you have to try to build products that are suited to all of these separate uh, sets of um, these legalities. You, it's very difficult to put out a product that could be used all across the United States when you've got to adhere to this really um, difficult patchwork of laws and regulations. So I am hopeful that we push towards a national standard for both data and artificial intelligence. Do you think that any types of regulations may hinder the technology, though, or or do you think that it'll just it'll they'll just do whatever they can to sort of regulate it, and it'll still sort of be a wild west situation for a while? I do think it's going to be wild west for a while. Absolutely. I also see that we're going to have uh, we're going to have a movement towards organizations pushing the envelope, as always happens, and. The reason is, if you look back in history, any technology that has become widely accepted has three key components. The technology is capable and we're still the technology is still growing right now. The regulatory environment is conducive and society is willing. So I think the interesting things that we're seeing happen right now is the legalities are starting to pop up. So we're seeing the regulatory environment be challenged and certainly tools like ChatGPT and all of these, you know, powerful art generators, code generators are piquing the interest of the public. We actually have seen just, just the public's interest has exploded since ChatGPT came on scene. And so I, I see really quick movement happening along each of those three key elements. Yeah. So I'm hopeful that we're going to see some of that really converge. And, you know, we can't catch the legal environment up until there are cases for us to, you know, until there are questions brought, until we have an opportunity to dig into those. So. I think we're going to see a lot of exciting things happen in the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah. Uh, and and you wrote a blog post about um, some of the, the questions that need to be answered around ChatGPT and some of these other AI tools. Chris, if you want to bring this up, this is the uh, the blog post with the, the flowchart. Now, within this framework, you, you cover a lot of different questions. Like, I think all of the orange things here are different questions. And then it's like you have two options available for each um, sort of subsegment. Is there anything that we have not covered? I, I think we've covered a little bit about liability, but why don't you go into about what questions need to be asked about uh, liability? Oh, unmute your microphone. So, yeah. what I, so what I tried to do in this framework is to really ad address the three core pieces that we're going to have to address with generative tools, whether it's whether it's text or art or code or whatever the case may be. So we wanna focus on the outcomes that we're trying to create. And mm -hmm. in my mind, the we've seen a lot of interest around explainability, which I completely understand and we need to continue to go down that path. But the, the immediate place to focus is on the outcomes that we're creating. Are we creating positive outcomes for society or are we creating equal outcomes for different groups of people, et cetera? So that's the first thing to ask. What what outcomes are you creating with this technology? So, and then the second piece is where do we place responsibility? In mm -hmm. my mind, I keep saying, follow the money. 
follow the money where wherever the money is being generated there needs to be accountability there and wherever there is creativity that should be being compensated there needs to be money there so um, i think that that's a really key component and then third in that creator um, element that we talked about earlier creation equals ownership in my mind so whoever's creating that needs to own it uh, yeah, that's a it's a great chart, and we'll put the link on that in our show notes so that that, that people can go in and, and and look at all of the different questions. Do you see anything, any other big looming issues in the future, or do you think that uh, most of the industry is just going to focus on a lot of these other uh, questions on a case by case basis, or is there something that maybe people are pushing down the road and like, well, we'll think about that later? Is there any 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 big dark monster on the horizon? So what we see happening in the United States, um, last year, the White House came out with the blueprint for, uh, with a blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights. Yep. And it's really important that we focus on the word blueprint because it really means it's a framework. It doesn't have any teeth to it, but it is a framework. And the way that they intend to support that framework is by regulatory agencies. So what I anticipate to happen at this point is we're going to see pockets of different speed and different answers to these questions that are based on what is the use case. So for example, if it is a healthcare situation, we're gonna see that regulated by our healthcare agency. And if it is something that is core to business in general, we're gonna see the FTC come in and regulate that. Um, so based on the use case and the regulatory agency's individual approach to things, I feel like we're going to have a different speed in the answers that uh, arise and also in the types of solutions that we see come to bear. All right. Uh, okay, Lisa, thanks. Uh, we're, we're kind of out of time right now. Um, where can people go to kind of to learn more from, you know, your blog or your website? What is what's the uh, the URL there? I always encourage people to check out drlisa.ai and you can follow me on LinkedIn at Palmer Lisa C. All right. Thanks, Lisa, for joining us. And, and we'll, we'll follow up, I'm sure, as the uh, regulations come out and, and, and more issues pop up around this. I don't think this is a fad. I think this is something that's going to keep generating more ideas and questions as we move forward throughout the, the next couple of years. Completely agree. It's been my pleasure to be here. All right. And uh, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe to the channel, and add any comments below that you have uh, below in the, in the notes there. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.